to ten. Sort of like a bad habit, we gon' do it again. Ready or not, we're gonna tap some ends. Go tell a 36, try to grab all the friends. We're back like we never left. On track like a treble clef. Skip a beat on the seventh rest. Bring feast, we don't pass them over. We got the first fruits, no way to show us. This yoke is easy, this burns light. Even with a loud mouth, trying to eat at the mic. Even if we down south, the humidity spike. Bales torn in two, so we gon' be all right. It's all grace till the half goes off. Heretics better run till the top blows off. Got them all stood still like a jaw full of Botox. Time to break them down like a jaw on a blow pop. Don't stop, they're in need of it though. Through grace, by faith, they could easily grow. New wave, new age, new way to see bro. Now, one truth, life, one way to the throne. February 22nd, 2023. This is Messiah Matters number 420. Note, I am not ashy. Today, my name is Caleb Hegg. Neither am I. I'm Rob Vanhoff. But I did see a picture on the news of Mark Wahlberg. Mar- is that Marky Mark? With Marky Mark. Mark. Yeah. Marky Mark with the Mark. Oh my word, He's we are dating Catholic, ourselves so Which bad. is the best of all religion. <laughs> Uh, I think you have to be Catholic to live in uh, in Boston, right? Isn't that part of it? You gotta try the lobster. Oh my word, Jim Gaffigan. Oh yeah. It's like I'm not gonna eat it. It's like a scorpion spider from the ocean, you know. It's awesome. He's like, God's up there, like, how far down do I have to put that stuff so they <laughs> stop eating it? <laughs> right. Uh, 
I'm well, let's uh, let's tell people who's producing our show. Here you go, everybody. Here are our producers. Hey, and uh, welcome to everyone in the chat room. It looks like people are filtering in slowly but surely. And while we give people a few more seconds. I'm a Catholic, which is the best of all the religions, really, because we have the most rules and the best clothes. That's for Rob today. Okay. Thank you, um, sir. I am looking for... Yeah, so... Let's start with this top of the show last, uh, let's see here on Monday. So uh, Rob and I have missed the past two weeks of Mystery Bible Theater 3000. That's all due to me. It's not due to, to Rob in any way, shape or form. I, I apologize. It's my, I know yeah. it is my, my problem, my bad. Um, but so we decided, hey, let's record it on Monday instead on Thursday that I keep missing. So we recorded Monday. And then I said, hey, let's do a Messiah Matters more because people have been asking about the Asbury revival. Now, we decided, I decided that, you know, this was uh, had been asked about enough by enough people that we would just release it to everyone. Normally, our Messiah Matters more stays for our producers. And so if you want to become a producer, you can do so on messiahmatters.com. And uh, as little as $5 a month, you can see those extra videos and whatnot. We try to put them out about every other week or so uh, so that people get some extra content. They're usually about anywhere from 15 to 20 minutes long, sometimes longer. Um, I don't think we've ever done one under 15 minutes. And not the point. So we did this this video when we put it out, and instantaneously we got a couple of comments. Now I made a comment, I made a a flub, and that that's what this is all leading up to. I made a flub saying that Asbury was LB, LGBTQ affirming. This is not true. Now I could tell you the reasons that I thought that that was the case, and uh, no matter what, it's not going to matter why I thought that was the case because no matter what, it is inaccurate, and uh, so. And we Asbury, strive for accuracy. We do strive for accuracy. Asbury has always been and is very, uh, very strong in their uh, in their affirmation of the biblical stance of sexuality. And uh, what is more, Craig Keener, who is at the seminary, not at the university, but is at the seminary, put out a video. I don't know. It's maybe a half an hour long or maybe a little bit longer. He addresses some of the uh, other people. I don't think he's in any way concerned about me, but not the point. Um, he addresses some of the people who have said that uh, that the worship was being led by, uh, L uh, by queer students and whatnot. And he uh, makes the point that uh, any student at Asbury University who is found in sexual misconduct, whether it is fornication or adultery or anything to do with queer or anything like that, um, is, is released from the university. So all of this to say, I made a mistake. I uh, I own up to that mistake. I apologize for making that mistake. Asbury is not LGBTQ affirming. Praise the Lord for that, by the way. Uh, I am I'm happy that uh, that Asbury is standing by the biblical truth, uh, and that they are they're firm on that. And I'm I'm happy that they have not gone down the liberal road uh, to that side yet, at least. And I don't think that they will. From what I've read, it looks like uh, Asbury. And by the way, this can all be found on their statement of conduct, the Asbury University conduct page. Um, and so if you'd like to read about that, uh, by all means, I will probably put links to Keener's video in the show notes and, uh, some other links so that people can check it out if they want to. Uh, I have cut the 10 second portion where I mention 
that I thought uh, Asbury was LGBTQ affirming. I've cut that out of our Messiah Matters more, so it is no longer there. Uh, and I, uh, yeah. I, so we I will not I, continue to perpetuate a mistruth. Yes. I'm not centered here and it's bothering me. Okay. Uh, now that that's out of the breath. way. No, I'm kidding. No, that's out of the way. Yeah, right. Center Center. Myself. I get it. I get it. Uh, uh, Rob, how are you, man? I'm doing well. Good. Have you... Have We're you, in the middle of a snow blizzard, which have is you fun. Sub- have you submitted to SBL yet? Um, I I have like three different paper ideas. And they're bouncing So the around. answer so is no. The answer is not yet. <laughs> not yet. Lord, uh-huh. willing, Lord willing, I'll... I, I'll do something. It's got a couple weeks here before the the buzzer goes off. Yes. Good. All right. Well, before we jump into our first topic, we have three topics today, and a main and one of those is a main topic. Uh, but uh, before we jump into our first topic today. Boom. Let me tell you how to get a hold of us. Chegatoryresource.com. That's C H E G G A T O R E S O U R C E dot com uh, is my email address. Uh, you can send emails there. You can also leave us a voicemail, 253 465 3205. It's 253 465 3205. This show is, uh, well, you can find all of our past shows and become a producer and listen to the lyrics of our intro music and all sorts of stuff at messiahmatters.com. Go and check that out. And also, and you know what? Show- I, I should do a plug. You know how you plugged earlier that it's like $5 a month? Yes. I, I wanted to point out that we actually lowered that because it used to be two cups of coffee. Now it's only for the cost of one cup of coffee. So, exactly. you know, we're trying to make it easy uh, on, on That's people. That's right. That's right. Trying to, trying to help you out in this declining economy. Uh, this show is produced by TorahResource.com. Go to TorahResource for all sorts of... Well, we're coming into some uh, into some festivals, right? So if you want to... I think we have some perm Rent resources. starts today. <laughs> no. Um, but obviously, Passover, Counting the Omer, and Shavuot are all coming up. And you can find resources for all of those things on TorahResource.com, including a... Um, yeah, there's there's just lots of resources. Those are all free, by the way. You can also check out our book, Celebrate the Feast, which is uh, about Passover and uh, Pentecost and the counting of the Omer. Um, and it's collected articles from the Torah Resource staff, including Rob and myself. And that is on sale right now. So you can go purchase it there. And last but not least, do not forget to subscribe to this this uh, YouTube channel. I'm sorry. For some reason, my um, my comments are not working as they should be. Hmm. Anyway, okay. I think I'm caught up to my comments now. Let's jump into some uh, theological adventures here. Yes. Um, the first one is from Tanner. Now, Tanner sent me a uh, a uh, an apology, saying he did not mean to uh, to down me in any way in this comment. This comment was left several weeks ago, and our conversation from last week had nothing to do with this comment, by the way. So no need to apologize, Tanner. Uh, Tanner, I wrote in on a, uh, so this was once again, the video where I was talking about uh, the church that I attend, that I currently attend with my family, uh, got a lot of, a lot of interaction on that one. And uh, so this is a great question from Tanner. Tanner says this, he says, hi, Caleb, considering that your family attends a church that meets on Sunday and you observe the Sabbath in your home, 
How do you view Leviticus 23.3, where the weekly Shabbat is called a holy convocation, or a slash a sacred assembly, a mikra kodesh? Do you view that as a command to gather together with other believers on the seventh day of the week? I will start this one off, and then I will throw this over to Rob in just a few minutes. So yes, uh, I do think that it is a command to gather on the Shabbat, and uh, I think that uh, ultimately we see a... And I wouldn't say expansion, but we see um, progressive revelation of, of how this is to be lived out uh, throughout the scriptures. Now, the way that my family currently uh, attempts to observe this command to gather on the Shabbat is that we invite um, believers into our home uh, anytime from sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday. So sometime within that period, we try to have uh, another believing family or believing families over to our house. And that can be for multiple uh, different reasons. It can be uh, just to hang out with other believers, to have our kids hang out with uh, other believers on the on the Shabbat. It can be to, uh, to read scripture or talk about scripture, which we've done uh, several times. It's, uh, there, I mean, ultimately, and this, by the way, I should say, this does not necessarily mean that the people that we're having over are Sabbath observant. Um, a lot of the time, the people that we have over are just believers in the Lord and, and people that, uh, we can, uh, that we can connect with that affirm uh, the foundational beliefs of the gospel which we will talk about later, and of our Lord Yeshua. So uh, that's how we attempt currently. Now, is that a perfect situation? I would say no, not necessarily. If we had the ability to attend a Sabbath-keeping group that uh, we felt the Lord was uh, leading us to be with, we would certainly do that. However, that has not been the case. And uh, as I have said many, many times, we are grateful for the brothers and sisters that the Lord has uh, placed in our lives to be able to worship with on Sunday. But the way that we try to gather and fulfill the command to gather on Shabbat is by having people into our house. Rob. Yeah, that's wonderful. Uh, and yeah, speaking of not ideal, you know, um, I think if you look at that Caleb's, you know, it's, it hasn't always been this way. There's been different phases of different uh, types of involvement with ministry on the Shabbat. Same thing, same thing with me. You know, uh, over time things have shifted, and presently, um, I'm involved in an online Bible study that goes about usually about four hours um, on Shabbat. That is, the core of which is people who all we're part of a local group that met at where we, you know, we were, we had a building, we had insurance, you know, all those kinds of things where we had finances to do that. And over the season of the COVID and everything that, that really, it became unfeasible. It was, it wasn't a workable solution. And so um, presently we're in a kind of a, a holding pattern you know, and who knows, who knows what uh, the future will bring, but definitely the ideal if, but for me, there are local, and I'll just say this local messianic quote synagogues that are not an option. Yeah. yeah Ideologic, I, ideologically, right. They're, right. they're absolutely not an option. And I'm with you and, on that. I, I'm in the same so, boat. Yeah. So um, anyway, yeah. So, so, but back to, to Tanner's question, um, it is true that in Leviticus 23, Mikrae Kodesh could be translated as, I think, holy convocation or declarations of holiness, something like that. And 
the custom that Yeshua it says he went as was his custom he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and um, so this is something we all have to negotiate you know negotiate in uh, in our in our walk of how how are we uh, how are we enjoying and observing and protecting the blessing that the Sabbath is to be for us. So agreed. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, let's, uh, I, th- I hope that that answers the question. I think it does. Great question, Tanner. Thank you very much for it. Okay. I'm so curious about what he said that he felt like he downed you, but that's so do okay. You, remember, you, don't have, so, you don't even have to say it. <laughs> no, do you remember last week? Because Tanner's well, a nice I, guy, so I don't imagine that being a... Oh, no, no, Tanner's great. Yeah, uh, we uh, we talked. I said something to the effect of there was, uh, I was getting a lot of pushback for attending a, a Christian church. And that had to do with the oh. main topic that we were talking about last week. Oh, and so gotcha. I think Tanner okay. thought that he was, that my that his comment was was part of that quote-unquote pushback, but it wasn't. That, that had nothing to do with it. And actually, I meant to talk about Tanner's question last week, but um, it was not on the list. So, yeah. Okay. Uh, let's move on. We're going to go to Johnny. Johnny says this. This comment was lo- left quite a while ago, and I apologize for not getting to it sooner. But Johnny says this. He says, Deuteronomy, uh, does Deuteronomy 414 uh, imply that the ordinances and judgments are only applicable in the promised land. Where can I find support for the stat, uh, statutes and judgments to be applied wherever you live? And this is the uh, quote of Deuteronomy 4.14, which he places for us. He says, the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and judgments that you might perform them in the land where you are going to possess it. Uh, this is uh, This question has a lot wrapped into it. And the reason why is because ultimately this gets back to the idea of whether or not we are to keep the commandments in the diaspora. Do you want to start, Rob? Uh, well, one I just I, one that comes to mind is Numbers chapter 9, which is mm-hmm. where they keep the Passover and they're they're in the wilderness. They haven't even come they haven't come into the promised land yet. And it says, this is, uh, so Numbers 9 begins, thus the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai, this is NASB 1995, in the first month of the second year, after they had come out of the land of Egypt, saying, now let the sons of Israel observe the Passover at its appointed time, on the 14th day of this month, at twilight, etc. They're in the wilderness. They're not in the land. The whole right. Torah is given in the wilderness. The, the, the Mishkan is in operation in the wilderness for 40 years. And um, so now, is it ideal? No, it's kind of like maybe we were talking about with the with this, how we honor Shabbat. The, um, because we know from Joshua that all the males that were born, that were under 20 when they left Egypt and that were born in the wilderness had not yet been circumcised. That means in Israel, you had men after Moses' death, but before they're entering the promised land, while they were still receiving manna, right, that you had men probably as old as 60 years old who had not been circumcised. And then Joshua circumcises them all, and then they keep they keep the Passover. So the question is like, well, what is going on? And we're, we, we're just not told. We're not, there's a lot of stuff that we're just not told about um, Israel in the wilderness, except for their, that it was a time of rebellion. Um, we know from Daniel 
now that fast forward, and of course, that's after the destruction of Solomon's temple and Israel is now in Mesopotamia. Um, and Daniel prays three times a day towards Jerusalem. Right. And it says it's at the time of the sacrifice. So, so it would seem that Daniel's prayer life is oriented towards a priestly right. service I, in Jerusalem that didn't re- wasn't really going on, but yet it still informed his um, yeah his observance, right? Yeah, and it, it informed yeah. his life in a, in a in like daily uh, remembrance. So, and there's other passages we could we could find. But, so I'm um, got, I got two of them. Okay, let's I got I got two of them. So, um, and Johnny's in the chat room right now, and he says uh, I studied further and understood it properly. Thanks uh, to TR and your other vids. So, uh, I'm going to keep going though, nonetheless. Okay, let's hear so, it. Let's hear it. Uh, my main passage, and I'll go. I have two of them, but the main passage I'll go to is Deuteronomy 31 through 8, and it says this: "And when all these things come to come upon you, the blessing." And the curse which I have set before you, and you uh, call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you. So it seems like what he's talking about in Deuteronomy 30 is the Jews, uh, the Jewish people, the the Israelites are not in the lands; they have been driven out to their enemies. And return to the Lord your God, and you and your children, and obey His voice in all that I command you today. Well, how are they supposed to do that right, if it's only for the land? They're in exile. Yeah. With all your heart, with all your soul, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and the Lord uh, your God ha- has scattered you. If you if your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of the heaven, of heaven, from there the Lord your God will gather you. And from there he will take you. And the Lord your God will bring you into the land that your fathers possessed. So on and so forth. So it seems to me that the Deuteronomy 31 through 8 passage affirms that uh, Israel, the and I'm using Israel at this point now as neither Jew nor Gentile, but God's covenant people, that when God's covenant people are outside of the land, if they do all that he has commanded them, he will bring them back to the land. And this seems to be reaffirmed or affirmed, let's say for the first time, in uh, Leviticus 18. Uh, this is what it says. It says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You shall not do as they do in the land of Egypt where you lived, and you shall not do as they do in the land of Canaan, to which I am bringing you. You shall not walk in their statute, statutes. You shall follow my rules and keep my statutes and walk in them. I am the Lord your God. So the, the, it seems like the law code is for God's people. I think that what he's talking about in Deuteronomy 4.14 is that there's a land-grant treaty. There's a, a, a covenant that God is making, which is, I'm going to give you this land. You will continue to possess this land if you do these things. Now, that is his, his law is his law, right? Actually, Augustine talks about this, right? He talks about that we are citizens of, of the city, the city of God, which he takes from Hebrews, Um and that we are currently sojourners in a land that is not our own. Which I think is beautiful because I think that that's exactly how we should see our, our, ourselves, whether we're in the diaspora or not, right? The, the kingdom of, of heaven, you know, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So anyway, um, that's my take. That's my take on, uh, on the commandments. Now, obviously, I think that, let's just follow that up with, obviously, I think that there are some commands that uh, we cannot keep here in the diaspora. And I think that that's fairly obvious. 
Right. Especially without. Yeah. And, and one thing to remember is that both temples were destroyed for a reason. And, the, and it's not an earthly reason. It's a heavenly reason. And that particularly the strict uh, halakhic code, or if you don't want to use halakha, the traditions of the elders that was held to so tightly by the Pharisees wasn't strong enough to prevent God from destroying the temple. So right. for Pharisees living in Jerusalem and in Judea and in the land, while a temple was operating, living there, like, it's not like people today know the Torah better than like first century right. Jews who studied it all, right? You know what I mean? So, so the idea that somehow their religious observance with all its stringency being in the land, certainly they're like Yeshua says, look, you're even tithing the mint and the cumin and all this stuff, but you've neglected something, the weightier matters right. of the Torah, love, right? Uh, justice, etc., mercy. These are things that are not fixed by land. And it seems that there's two, that God wants us to love him and seek him with all our heart, first and foremost, no matter where we live, and that all the commandments hang from that, or depend upon, or build up from that foundation. And in certain times of life, there's a temple in or, or the historical timeline. Other times there's not. So being in Israel now, if you lived in the land of Israel now, and it's not like you're able to fulfill the tithing command or the Shemitah command, it, right. other than just in some sort of memorial way, in the same way that we seek to keep the Shabbat. It, it, because there's no, there's no priesthood. There's, and the Shemitah requires all the people to be in sync. Because if you have half of the half of the people observing Shemitah and the other half are not even caring, that that's not all the people loving God as one people. That's a divided people. So, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a complex issue. Certainly, we're going to knock out a bunch of these uh, a bunch bunch of these questions that have been on our list for quite some time. Zach writes in. This has been on our list for I don't even know how long. Zach writes in, he says, I was studying a second commandment, Exodus 20, verse 4, and Deuteronomy 5, 8. This, for those who don't have that off the top of their head, is the uh, command not to make any image of anything in heaven or on earth, right? Zach continues, and I started wondering how we should apply the command to not make images. I've grown up with the understanding that this was referring specifically to idols that represented false gods and not artistic images, paintings, sta uh, statues, etc. This, uh, this, in my experience, is the view most believers have taken. However, when I read the commandment recently, I couldn't help wondering if it should be taken more literally. If taken at face value, it would seem that no images whatsoever should be made. My gut feeling is still that this doesn't prohibit all images, but I would like to have a solid biblical backing for it. What do you guys think about this? Okay, I'm going to start on this one. So I was thinking about okay. this actually last week when I was uh, reading about the Ark of the Covenant. What's on the top of the Ark of the Covenant? God commands us to make an image of angels, right? The cherubim are on the top of the Ark with their, with their wings over touching each other. So... Now, it could be argued, well, this might be an exception, right? God makes an exception here uh, to make images, even though he's said that we're not to make any images of anything in heaven or on earth. 
Well, he, may, he commands us to make other images as well, right? Uh, Moses is told to make the bronze serpent. Now, what happens with that? Interestingly, Israel ends up worshiping that bronze, that bronze serpent that's put on the pole. And so eventually, the, that, that bronze serpent is, is melted down because they are, they're worshiping it. So it seems to me that in that specific scenario, we have clear cut. God tells us to make something, but once Israel starts worshiping it, then all of a sudden it's no long, it no longer fulfills what it was supposed to be doing. So this is the reason that I believe that images are not bad to have. But what God is talking about, he says, you shall have no other gods before me. I am the Lord your God, right? And this is, so he, he starts with, I am the Lord your God, you shall have no other gods before me. Now we have the, the 10 words, right? Verse one is, I think, connected specifically to, I am the Lord your God, you shall have no other gods before me. So then the idea of making images is directly connected with that first statement. And therefore, the images that we are not allowed to make, whether of things on, on earth or in heaven, are for the purpose of worshiping them. Anything to add to that, Rob? Uh, just that, you know, the word pestle there in Hebrew is used specifically for it's the kind of things that they find in these archaeological digs of like Canaanite temples, like or even in ancient Near Eastern, like little figurines and statues right. that are said to be deities. And we see it in uh, Greco-Roman culture. We see them like the Temple of Athena, or you know, where they have huge they had huge statues that they painted and adorned with wreaths and and flowers and stuff like that. Um, that's, that, that's, uh, the context in my opinion. Right. Um, okay. So I want to move now. We're going to move to our main topic. And then if we have time, I'm going to look something up that we, a comment that we got on, uh, on YouTube. And if we have time, we'll touch on that too. Yay. Um, but so last week we, uh, were talking, I was sharing a back and forth between a husband and wife, a couple that were uh, challenging me on the notion of going to a Sunday church. And uh, the husband, Anthony, uh, was suggesting that uh, our salvation is not predicated simply on faith, but on works as well. And so I think language is very important. The church has always said that salvation is by faith alone, and I understand why they say that. Ephesians seems to point to that, so on and so forth. Um, however, if we take all of the scriptures in tandem, it seems as though faith without works is dead. And so, therefore, how would we reconcile those two things? And I would say that, uh, and yeah, I need to be careful because I don't want to be labeled a heretic here. I think that our justification is, is, uh, is a gift from God. It is predicated not on us in any way, shape, or form, but that it is a gift of God that is given to us. And therefore, justification is by faith alone. And that faith is a gift of God. Um, sanctification, which I believe is part of a believer's walk, and some might say, I don't know if they would or not, but some might say that sanctification is a part of our salvation, um, and it is a dual work between us and the Holy Spirit, which conforms us more and more towards Christ and to the law of God. And in that respect, I would certainly say that, yes, uh, that we are, our works matter in sanctification. And a believer who is not sanctified, does not show sanctification, uh, 
was not justified, right? And so we talked a little bit about these things. So Anthony writes that now this was part of that conversation, by the way. He did not write back in. Uh, this was all part of that conversation. But Anthony wrote this question, which I th think you know, we've, by the way, we have talked about this before. In fact, the reason that I, uh, <laughs> that I named this particular episode, uh, What is the Gospel Again?, is because I think, and I could be wrong about this, but I think that in our past shows, we've done a show called What is the Gospel? And I think that we talked about this very question. And so uh, we'll probably go ahead and, and say a lot of the exact same things that we, will be, that we said before. However, that is neither here nor there. I think that this is, a, I think this is one of the more important questions. And this is the question that Anthony poses. He says, I would like to ask you both, how is a person saved, and what is the gospel message? So uh, what I just talked about, I think, is, is the complex notion of how is a person saved, which is justified first. A person cannot be saved unless they are first justified. Justification is a work of God alone, and we are justified by God and through the shed blood of Christ, right? So he justifies us by the work that Christ did on the cross. And those who came before Christ died on the cross were justified by faith in the work that Christ would do on the cross to take care of their, uh, their sin, the sin problem, right? It's all about the, the sin problem. Um, we'll move on to the gospel, what is the gospel message in a few moments. But first, Rob, how is a person saved? And by uh, the way, real quick, I want to tie. Oh, another sh another show that we've done, by the way, was on uh, the the term. Uh, the, it was a book that we reviewed, uh, which was Salvation by Allegiance, Allegiance Alone. Yeah, right. uh, Matthew Bates, maybe. Right, I think that's I right. I think it might be, and we, yeah, I think we did. We talked about that book. It's not a bad. It's not a bad word. Allegiance for pistis. It highlights it. Right. It helps. In, it you know. It's like an amplified Bible kind of thing. <clears throat> Whenever you get to a word, faith, allegiance, <laughs> right? Um, uh, you know, I don't know. It's what like else. the Message Devotion. Bible, except for yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And you yeah. just keep putting allegiance everywhere. Right, that's right. fine. Uh, uh, that's fine. Um, one thought, <laughs> if I may, back to the the question of differentiating justification from sanctification. Sure. I, it it just. You know the hot topic that we started with. This is this revival idea, and the, I think we talked about, and we've heard people say, "Yeah, let's just wait and see what the fruits are." Right? No, let's just accept it. Okay, you know, people say that they are coming to faith and dedicating their life to God. Then take them at their word, right? Right? And 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 then what we see is, well, check in four or five years down the line. And and see the fruits, and for those that are are indeed justified, there will be a path of growth in the Lord. Their right. life will be changed, and and it's not an instant. Maybe some things would be instantly changed for sure. You know, God can heal instantly; He can remove addiction instantly. Like right. there's all sorts of wonderful things, but and great stories about those things happening. Yeah, right? but that's not the but the walk of discipleship is a walk of of transformation, not just one, one change and then you're done. And it's a long road. It's, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a long road and we, we continue because we're, we've, 
we're enmeshed in sin. We're born in sin. We're enmeshed in a culture of sin. And to imagine that God's going to instantly justify and sanctify us to where we have no work to do on ourselves or in our relationships, this just this doesn't happen. So I was just thinking about that as like one way of separating uh, the theoretical concepts of justification and sanctification is to to step back and think about the you know uh, sanctification means justification indeed was true right it's like it's like you go to the tree and you pull up and there's a there's a real healthy apple and you're like yeah okay so that was really an apple seed but when I just threw the seed down there maybe I didn't know for sure okay so the idea is because perseverance is one of the works of 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 the spirit right it will produce good fruit right so right. anyway uh i'm probably mixing different uh metaphors there now you're doing, you're so, doing great okay now bring me help me back to the the question sure. here is what so, is the gospel yet or what is no how is a person saved how is a, we'll, well get I to, almost have we'll, to okay, i almost yeah. have to answer the what is the gospel first okay let's do that you want to go first or you want me to yeah, well, let, let me, yeah, if you'd let me do that. So I would say Go ahead. The, the, the the gospel at its very boiled down core is the, the heralding or the declaration of Yeshua of Nazareth as the incarnate son of God, king of Israel, king of the universe, through whom only is eternal life. And apart from him, there, there is no hope and no goodness. It's just a declaration. It's not like, hey, let me argue. Let me argue. It's just the fact. It's, it's the declaration of a fact of of who Yeshua is. That's the gospel. Let me go. Ooh, let me go. Let me go. Go, go Caleb. Okay. So I'm gonna, I, I'm gonna go straight to the scripture, which I have done in previous episodes as well. I love doing this too. I'll ask, and I've. I've I've pull, I've asked people on Twitter before what is the gospel. I have never gotten this answer, but it's my favorite answer when people ask what is the gospel. I go straight to the scriptures, Galatians three eight, and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. So Paul is telling us that that Abraham received the gospel. God gave him the gospel. What is the gospel? saying, in you shall all the nations be, be in blessed. In your seed, yeah. In, in your seed. Yeah, it, so so the, the, the gospel message is, in your seed all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Now, what Rob just said... And that is seed gospel. is what he says, what Galatians says, that seed is Messiah, is Christ. And that seed is Christ. So I, and, so, and, but, but Rob is absolutely right. So if we unpack, what does that mean? What does it mean? In your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Well, that's the gospel message at its core. But how is, first of all, who's the seed? And this is what, I mean, this is what the, the glorious beauty of the law of God sets up for us from the very beginning, from Genesis all the way through. And the, the entire Tanakh sets up for us, the entire Old Testament sets up for us who that seed is. So in your seed, who's the seed? The Messiah, Yeshua. In this, in your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. How are they blessed? Through the uh, free gift of justification, through faith in Christ alone, through the shed blood of Christ on the cross. Exactly what Rob has said. This is the gospel message in my mind, is that is is in your seed, all the nations of the earth the will be blessed. The gospel's not okay. an opinion. Exactly. It's not, it's not somebody's opinion. It's not an argument. Right. 
It, it's not an opinion. It's a declaration of a fact. And, and so, it, yeah. What's, what's interesting about that passage, by the way, so Paul is just on, I mean, he is nailing this home, right, in Galatians 3. I mean, this is just such a, a wonderful passage, too, because what does he do? He then turns to Abraham as the model, as the model of salvation by faith. In 13, he, sa- he, he does the expansion that, that Rob has already given us in different words. Paul says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, curses everyone who hangs on the tree, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. And then he goes on to talk about how Abraham had faith, so the, and, and he, are, he lays this out for us too, right, in this question of how is a person saved? Paul tells us Abraham was justified first before he circumcised himself. So before good works came into it, before his, his works came into it, it was just his belief in the coming Messiah that justifies him. And then he goes, because of his faith, he goes and he does these works. So he's justified first. Okay, so now back to Rob and the second question, or the first question that we're putting second. How is a person saved? So uh, I, would, I would just say one place to go is like Romans 10. How, would, how will anyone believe unless, uh, unless someone preaches? How will someone preach unless someone is sent, right? Uh, and then he cites Isaiah, I want to say 52 maybe, where it's, you know, Manavu Alharim Ragle, right? Uh, uh, I'm thinking in Hebrew. I can't even remember the English. Is how how lovely are the feet uh, of of those on the mountains <laughs> who bring in good news, right? So the idea is, faith comes by hearing. He makes a point, and hearing the word of God, and the idea that's being conveyed to us is that it's through. The, the the declaration of the gospel of who Yeshua is, and with all its corollaries, covenantal things that Caleb's highlighting that Paul brings out in Galatians with respect to Israel and the nations, and that in him alone is the blessings of the covenant of the creator. There's no other blessing. You can't, there's no other blessing store you can go to and get a blessing, right? This is it. This is the deal. There's no other trees of blessing out there. It's 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 Messiah alone. And it's that declaration and that somehow, by God's design, in declaring that message, mm-hmm. there are people that will hear and they'll just click. They'll hear and they'll just believe and they'll say, Okay, I'm this is me. I'm I I'm all in. Right. Right. And it's just like that. It's it's not an argument that's won. It's not a it's not a fruit of debate. It so, is a it is a work of the of the Holy Spirit right. through the preaching of God's word, acting in the heart and and working faith, what we call regeneration. And and so that's I mean, we're kind of just describing something that God does, you know. Right. So Scott makes a great point in the in the chat room, and, and I'm going to expand on his comment, but he says, I think you need to attach all the promises to Yeshua as well to sit on the throne in his united kingdom in Israel. That is the gospel message too. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. Absolutely. I completely agree with that. And one of the, so I think that a lot, this is, 
okay, I mean, this could go in many, many di- uh, directions. But I think that this is probably one of the uh, one of the things that the mainstream Christian church has really missed, which is that all of the covenants are a pointing to the work of Christ, including the Mosaic covenant. So, uh, I it's always interesting to me when people say, "Well, we're not under the old covenant, but we're under the new covenant." There's a lot of problems with that, but. If we think of Christ, and I've used this analogy so many times, but if we think of Christ as the hub of the wheel and all of the covenants as the wheel itself with spokes going into that hub, so all of the covenants point to Christ, all of the promises, everything. If you take one of them out, it doesn't work anymore. You can't, you can't take out the covenants. All of the covenants are wrapped around Christ. And I think that the new covenant, uh, I've, I've been pondering this recently uh, because of something that was said at the ETS. Uh, we had a, I forget what paper it was in, um, but we, it might have been uh, Paul Wagner's. Anyway, we were talking uh, during the Q&A time, in the, and it was a small room, but we were kind of, there were some major hitters in there, some major scholars in the room. And we started talking about the idea of, well, what's different about the new covenant, as opposed to the Mosaic covenant. And there were points made like, well, uh, the, the new covenant is, is written on the heart. And Dr. Block said, that shows you who was in the room. Dr. Block says, well, the uh, the Torah tells us that uh, God is going to write the Torah on, on the heart. So that's yeah, not new. And... Uh, so there's this whole discussion going on, and I think I think it was it was either Block or Wagner finally said that the thing that is new about the new covenant is that all Israel is part of it. All Israel, the nation of Israel, comes into it, and they agree and they believe. Now I would attach that the new covenant entails faith in Christ, and we see this from the second pass uh, second Corinthians passage where Paul discusses or it's the only time that the that the second testament uses the term old covenant right so the old covenant is the covenant being lived out without faith in Christ the new covenant is the covenants being lived out with Christ so was Abraham part of the new covenant i would say yes as soon as he had faith and it was reckoned to him as righteousness he came into the new covenant so my father has described this as a glass right you, you can't just have a full glass you have to fill it up and right now we're in that filling up of the glass but there will be a, a time when all israel will be saved okay back to you man i know you got more Remind, uh, take me back to the main Question. Oh well, we're we're currently talking about how is a person saved? Is that oh, yeah. uh, are we uh, are we are we good on that, or do we want to keep going? I think so. You know, I another picture. I mean, Yeshua gives us all sorts of different pictures, but one is the John fifteen is you know he says I'm the branch, or, or sorry, he says I'm the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So. If we wanted to describe that parable in terms of these questions, mm-hmm. justification is the uh, the 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 becoming that, or that fact becomes true for me. When that fact becomes true for a person that they are a branch to Yeshua's vine, that however that comes to be, that is becoming saved. And so, I mean, that sounds, might kind of sound silly, but to me, it's like, it's so, it's crucial 
because back to Galatians, Paul says, um, it's not my life, but it's Christ who lives in me. It's like it's it's like he's struggling to find language. This is all at the end of Galatians 2. It's you can tell he's like at a loss to like, he's like, how do I explain this? It's like, well, it's the life I live in the flesh, except it's right. not really me, but Messiah who lives in me. I mean, he's trying to describe the fact that yes, he continues to live in this world, even though in fact, before the Torah, he's been he's reckoned as having died with Messiah on the cross, even though the Messiah died like 20 years prior. And he's saying he loved me and gave himself for me. That means from Paul's perspective, he's saying Yeshua, before he went to the cross, was already attached to me by his love. He already attached Paul to himself and went to the cross and, and or Saul of Tarsus, that is, died with Yeshua on the cross and then went through death into resurrection, still holding on to Saul of Tarsus. When Saul of Tarsus was clueless to this whole thing until, right. you know, 15, 20 years later, when Paul, you know, maybe more like maybe 12, 14, 15 years later, when Paul starts to write about this in his epistles and he's saying, and it's a, it's back to this thing, like, like we were talking about, the new covenant is not time bound. It's like, it doesn't bother Paul. Like Paul can say, yeah, I died with Messiah on the cross. And, and that, that can be true for us, too, 2,000 years later. And it doesn't bother Paul that 2,000 years have gone by or 20 years have gone by. Or it doesn't bother Paul that Abraham lived 1,500 years prior. That, right. that doesn't matter because he's talking about how great is Messiah's love for us and that nothing can separate us from the love of Messiah. That's at the end of Romans 8, I think. So we're talking about an amazing unfathomable love that is that defies the laws of physics as we know it <laughs> you know so, and, the, and and our concept of time and that's this attachment that's how a branch becomes fruitful in in the vine who is messiah i mean i think that if we could reorient the discussion at all about salvation by faith alone i think the thing that i would want to start with perhaps is the idea that uh, faith is simply belief that Jesus is or that God is. We know that this is not the case, right? And I'll give you, uh, I, I go to the extreme example, and I've been, I've had some pushback on this example, um, but I go to the extreme example, which is Judas, right? Judas walks with Christ for at least, you know, probably three years. He studies under Christ, he sees the miracles, um, but he is not willing to give full, and we'll use that word again, full allegiance to Christ in the end. And this, by the way, has, has sparked... He's not, um, he's not allegiant. Yeah, right. He's, yeah. He has and no allegiance. This whole, we, learn, this, we learn who his allegiance is at the end. Right. And we, here's the thing is that this, this kind of uh, thought process has, in fact, split the church in history past. The reason why is because you have different examples so of, of this kind of thing happening. Judas walks with Christ three years, and then he what he he he's he betrays Christ. Well, Peter does almost the same thing, right? He denies Christ three times. So his where is his allegiance then? Not and actively what, for cash, but but out of right. fear, out, definitely out of fear. out of fear of of getting beat up by the gang, kind of thing. Right, and so. 
let's see here. I think it was uh, it was Magnus. Uh, anyway, one of the church fathers uh, um, uh, decides that he's not going to let people back into the church who have buckled under persecution and then want to come back into the church, right? So persecution is happening. People deny Christ. Really, or that's harsh. Right, and so that well, this is a whole this is a whole uh, but, debate that goes on in the yeah. church, and finally, people say, no, 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 the the side wins over that no, we have to let people back into the church, and of course, uh, Donatus Magnus, that's who it is, Donatus Magnus, um, he is not happy about it. In fact, I think that he is labeled a heretic because of that. Don't quote me on that. I need to go back to my uh, to my history book and, and read again on Donatus Magnus. But um, good this memory whole, though that you remembered his name. This whole this whole debate happens over whether or not people who deny Christ should be left let back into the church. And what's the uh, what's the response? Well, Peter, Peter has denied Christ, but then he is let back in. But then we see Judas. Judas is not does not seem to be let right, back into right, the fold. Right. And so ultimately, so it shows how it shows how the gospels contain through just the stories of Yeshua with his disciples, a kind of halakhic guidance. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's like, like we have precedent, right? And, oh, Peter is the precedent. Well, it's not a, it's not like there's a law there, but it's like, you have to let the narrative, you have to let the unfolding of events and right. the specifics of the situation. And then differentiating on the one hand, Judas, Peter, on the other hand, and say, okay, what, what are we learning about? walking with God. Well, what it means that even Peter, who was the one who said, Lord, if it's you, call me out and I'll walk out on the water. Like someone that bold and courageous. And of course he got fearful then too, but Yeshua never right. got angry at Peter for wanting to walk on the water. Right? right. I mean, it was like, it was like, not no, it was like, yeah, okay, come on. And so, and then of course the, if, I say if anybody can read the last chapter of the Gospel of John and the restoration of Peter and not at least choke up or tear up, you have no soul. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, that is that is some of the most tender, precious um moments in all of written literature, I would say. I would say in all of written literature, the restoration of Peter. Uh, on the beach there after the resurrection, because I mean, just thinking about it, it's like, that is, that is, especially when you're reading it in a community or as a family, it's hard to, it's it, when you have just attentive ears and you're listening, it's so powerful. So uh, anyway. Yeah. All right. Uh, we're going to leave there. people who cannot <laughs> read. Who don't kidding. cry. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna leave it there. Uh, if you want to, uh, you if you want us to talk about things uh, and have specific questions or comments or topics that you'd like us to uh, discuss, then uh, shoot us an email: chegatorresource.com, c h e g g at torresource.com. Somebody has asked us to talk about open theism. We might talk about that next week. Um, if you have questions related to that, we also have some comments. That's my other favorite OT: Old Testament open theism. <laughs> wow. Uh, that I, yeah, that is bad. Especially the Scientology since I don't in uh, open theism. Uh, person out there is going to say operating Thetan. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's like Just one of the stop. highest levels of Scientology. Uh, stop. <laughs> stop. 
<laughs> you can also leave us a voicemail, 253-465-3205. It's 253-465-3205. And we will be back, I believe, next week. And we have a Mystery Bible Theater 3000 coming out on Friday. And yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, by the way, how's about this for an idea? Uh, this idea has come to us from our very own Mr. Van Hoff. Van Hoff thinks that we should take a week each month and dedicate it to walking through and discussing a specific hymn, whether or not a song. It could be modern or it could be an oh, old yeah. hymn. Classic hymn all the way up to... All the way up to, to modern Bethel music, right? And what we would so, do is so, we would yes, we'd read the, the, read the, the lyrics. Idea. It wasn't my idea. Someone suggested it to me. Okay. So and read the lyrics and then see whether or not they're biblically sound or not. I love and, it. Uh, I think we now, have some a lot of those of fun classic doing that. hymns have like eight or nine stanzas. So like may, right. maybe we we it, you know we might shrink it down. Whereas the classic uh, hymn or pop Christian song probably has two, <laughs> one chorus that's repeated seven times. Right, right, right. And maybe a little variation. But so, either way. So, so here's the thing. What we could do is we need a few things. I, I, I'm a, I, I like the idea. If we move forward, we need a name of the segment. What are we going to call the segment? Do we need an intro for the segment? And then we need suggestions. Like what are, what are some uh, classic hymns? And then also we could touch on how hy classic hymns were modified. I think we did this a long time ago. I think we looked at a hymn that was a classic hymn and then how it was modified by the Mormons. Yeah. Like they, they, they hijacked a classic well, hymn and then well, there's, there's also one, a modern one, right? In Christ alone, uh, many churches were changing. There was churches that were changing it to changing the, uh, his, his, um, was it his wrath was satisfied or something like that? His, Yeah the father's wrath was satisfied and they were changing it to like his love was fulfilled or something. And that, you know, so, that's a mod so things like that. So little curious curiosities of, of, uh, of him and Christian popular song culture and, and history. <laughs> I like it. Let's do it. All right. Um, yeah, well, I guess we'll just leave it there. We hope that this conversation is done at least one thing that is to glorify our great god and savior yeshua the messiah oh i'm gonna bring this back why you know why because messiah matters mm -hmm.